of King's family. Can you hear me? All right, that's good. Welcome. We are excited for the Word of God tonight. And before we dive into the Word, I just want to honor uh, our worship team. I want to honor those who serve on cameras and production, the back room, our first encounters, our greeters, our deacons, our elders who have served us so well tonight. And now, of course, we want to also honor our our children's class uh, teachers as well as they head out to Kingdom Kids. What a blessing to serve on such a great team. So we welcome you into the house here in Jerusalem. Welcome to King of Kings. Welcome everybody watching online as well from around the world. Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, and other platforms. We have people watching tonight from uh, quite a number of places. I wanted to mention a few. Austria, and we know that some of the folks from Austria will be here in just a week or two, so I wanted to mention their name as well. Um, but also people watching from Brazil. Usually I hear something when I say Brazil. Thank you. That's what I was waiting for. Canada. Okay, a couple of fans of Canada. Colombia. Finland. I knew Finland was to my right. France. France was up in the balcony a while ago. Holland. That's us. That's me. Oh, you too. Great. Okay. Praise the Lord. India. Ireland. Kenya. Malta, Singapore, Slovakia, Sweden, United Kingdom, United States, more and more, but those are the ones that told us where they were watching from, so we welcome you online today. And the reason I'm also uh, greeting and, and honoring some of our team, we have Roman and Gabi uh, played as well, Melissa and Thais, Emmanuel and uh, Andrew as well. But um, I wanted to just mention the unity of the body here tonight, because Thais is a worship leader at Shimon Sasson, one of the partner congregations in our network. And we're so blessed to have her help us lead worship tonight. And then Emmanuel is joining us also from Netanya. And of course, Andrew is joining us. He's, he's with us quite often, but he has another congregation also that he, uh, he serves at. So it's blessing to be all together. And now, why would we need that? Here's why we needed that help today, because we have several of our people out serving other congregations today as well. I just got back from Germany last night uh, at a conference we did for uh, one of our German King of Kings congregations called Hosanna in Heidelberg, Germany. So I bring you greetings from people you know, people like Dustin and Susan Pratt, who used to be on our worship team and then the prayer tower. I bring you greetings from uh, Daniela and Matt Escobar, who were also there from King of Kings in Herzliya. Yael Kalisher was there. Obviously, she's here with us at KKCJ. And someone else missing in the house tonight is Tyro. He's also in Germany helping with the conference. So you can see that we farmed out a lot of our helpers, and then we had to ask for help from our other friends. And it's a great picture of how we work together in the kingdom of God, and especially in the King of Kings network. So thank you, everybody, for being part of that. What you can see tonight is where we are headed. You see the elements of Seudat HaAdon, the elements of the Lord's Supper sitting here. So this is where we will finish tonight. Begin with musical worship. Notice I always say musical worship because it's not the only kind of worship. Don't forget that. Then we're moving to our heritage pieces of worship. I'll be sharing a few of those with you today before we close. Our main thrust of the sermon tonight is going to be Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, today is not Yom Kippur. It begins on Tuesday evening. So Erev Yom Kippur is Tuesday evening, but we're going to focus our attention tonight uh, on this, uh, this theme. Now, I have here uh, with me, I brought 
one of the Sidurim. If you know that word, a Sidur is a traditional prayer book used by the rabbis, used in the synagogues all around the world. Some are very thick, some are very thin, some are even transformed into a messianic version where Yeshua becomes the center. Um, and that's the version we have here tonight. And, and I just wanted to mention that because as we go into Yom Kippur, in a traditional synagogue setting, they spend a lot of time in prayer and repentance. Now, we embrace that because when we blew the trumpets last week, remember that Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, kicks off 10 days of awe that we call them, the 10 days of awe. And in those 10 days, we're supposed to be repenting. I made a little joke last week that it takes us 10 days to repent from everything we've done. That's why God gave us 10 days. And then on Yom Kippur, we have the atonement for our sins. We have the concept of the one time a year where the high priest in Israel was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies one time, all year long, was Yom Kippur, the day of atonement for the people of Israel. So that's the season we find ourselves in, in the synagogues and with the Siddur. They're going to be connecting with lots of prayers of repentance. A famous one is called the Alchet prayer. Alchet means basically for all of the sins that we've done. And then there's a really long list of them. Somebody sat down in a group circle one day in ancient times, and they thought of every sin they could come up with. And they wrote them down in a list, and you say it in the Alchit prayer. The Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, right? You want to connect with that on the holidays as well. The Ashamnu prayer. This prayer means we are, we're guilty. We're guilty of everything we've done. You know, the prophet Daniel was so bold, but he was so prophetic in nature to stand up in prayer and to say, we have sinned. We have done wrong. And that's where the Ashamnu prayer comes from. And the Vinaya Mar comes from Zechariah 14. And I'm going to touch on a few of those as we close and move into the Lord's Supper. But it's a theme of repentance, which is appropriate in this time. We don't light the candles tonight because it's not Shabbat yet. That will come on Tuesday night. We lit them last Sunday because it was actually the Sabbath opening for the holiday, but not tonight. We're a few days early, but our theme is still the same. Now, you know where we're headed. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 28, gives us a quick synopsis of what you're supposed to do on Yom Kippur. Do not do any work on that day because it is a day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord, your God. Now, it's important that when we move to a season of repentance, and even in your private devotion, I want to draw us back to the, the heart of God for repentance. Is the heart of God a long list that you can come up with? Or is the heart of God to connect with us in a genuine, open, humble, raw way? Now, there's nothing wrong with the list of sins to look at. Maybe, it, maybe you need that to trigger your memory. But I know something better than a long list to trigger your memory, and it's called the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, if you give him a moment, if you'll just give him a moment and say, I'm in a place I need to repent. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. He will give you specifically, not someone else's list, he'll give you your list. And when we go to repent, the key is to have the kavanah, the, the, the right intention in the heart that you're repenting for the right reasons. And repentance really means I'm, I'm committed to not go back that way. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm committed to this change of heart. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to change in me. And it's important to have a heart motive that's correct in repentance. I shared with the uh, servants team before service, I give them a little encouraging word, a little pep talk. We go over the plan for the night. And, and when I did so tonight, I wanted to remind everybody of ancient Israel that when you brought bulls and goats and lambs and rams and doves and you brought them to the temple, first of all, everyone saw you bring that. That, that was never in secret, right? You didn't lead a lamb quietly through a back hallway where no one saw that you were about to offer a sin and guilt sacrifice. It was out in the open for everyone to see. You had to go up the steps. You, you know, you were singing the songs of ascent. There were probably a whole crowd of people with you and you had your goat and your bull and you're going up the steps into the, the outer sanctuary and now you're, you're in the inner court and people are still seeing. They're like, oh man, uh, Bob has another goat. You know, Richard, he's got, he's got a bull. Woo, what did he do? And there was a concept that you were going to have to sacrifice out in public and everybody was going to kind of know what you were up to. And when you laid it on the altar and the priest said all the appropriate prayers and they slaughtered the lamb and, and, and the goats and the bulls and the blood ran, in ancient Israel, it would sit there until God accepted your sacrifice. And when God was convinced your heart was in the right place, he would send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And then you would know that you and God were now okay. But you know, the converse is true. You can go through all the steps with the bulls and the goats and the blood and the priests and the prayers and the altar, and then it just sit there. That was probably embarrassing. People were watching. They could see how long you've been standing there waiting for God to accept your sacrifice, waiting for you to get your heart right. My guess is it motivated people to get their heart right quickly. That's embarrassing. You know, how long has Bob been up there? It's been 20 minutes. Come on, Bob. Get on the ball. Get your heart right. But I think that's really what God wants is come to me. Ask the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you where you need to focus the repentance. And when you focus that repentance, mean it from your heart. Be intentional about it. Have the right heart behind it so that I can consume that. And we can be in right standing together. Because going through the motions of repentance, guys, th there's no fruit on the other side of that. There's fruit when it comes from the heart. And that's what God wants in this repentance season. Now, Yom Kippur was given to us as an example. It was a temporary shadow of the full atonement that Yeshua would make for us in the future. Listen to this verse in Hebrews chapter 6, 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, 
firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Yeshua, has entered on our behalf and he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Notice that it focuses on Yeshua being the high priest on Yom Kippur themology. It goes behind the curtain the one time a year, so clearly it's talking about Yom Kippur. And when it's speaking of Yom Kippur behind the curtain as the great high priest, it calls Yeshua the forerunner. Now, by the very nature of that word, you can deduce what it means. He ran ahead. Did you know he ran ahead of your sin? What a concept. How much does God love us? It wasn't just that he reluctantly came out of heaven and said, I got to go forgive these people. They just keep doing it. Bob keeps bringing the same goat. If your name is Bob tonight, I apologize. <laughs> I could have gone with Shlomi. I could have gone with um, Yossi. We had a joke about Yossi today. We, we called three different repairmen this week, and they were all named Yossi. I don't know what that means, but... But this concept of the forerunner, he didn't only come to forgive in the past. That's not, that's not enough for him. He then ran ahead. He became the forerunner. He ran ahead of your life into your future, acknowledged the sin that was going to happen at some point for sure, and died on the cross to take care of that as well. That's a great high priest. The high priest on earth could only do it for one year. And even that had to be repeated. And even that had to be made atonement for before he could even serve as the high priest because he himself was so dirty. And he could only work on the intercession with God for the past sins. He could never go forward. Yeshua, the great high priest, going behind the curtain, enters before we do, goes ahead of us, becomes the forerunner of our forgiveness. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God accepts you. You say, God, God could never, he could never love me after what I've done. Are you kidding? He forgave that sin before you ever did it. That's the high priest you have. Now we continue with these amazing concepts of Yeshua being the great high priest, being the forerunner, but Hebrews adds some other things to that in chapter seven. Look at verse 22 to 28. Because of this oath, and the, and the oath was really God's commitment to his people as long as we submit to him. Because of this oath, Yeshua has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Yeshua lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First, for his own sin, and then for the sins of the people. Yeshua sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all of their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law, appointed the Son, 
who has been made perfect forever. The descriptions are amazing here. They're so wonderful. Not only is he the forerunner priest going ahead of us, but he's the guarantor of a better covenant. He's guaranteeing it. There's some good guarantees in life. You buy your refrigerator, you might get a three-year guarantee. You buy a car, hopefully you get five-year guarantee. But Yeshua said, I will lay down my life as the guarantee. That's how much I believe in this love relationship. I will die to guarantee that you are part of a better covenant. So it's amazing to be a forerunner, but how much more amazing do we add to that that he's the guarantor with his own life? What a high priest you have. He's a permanent priest. He makes intercession nonstop. An earthly high priest doesn't do that. Yeshua is constantly making intercession, constantly. You are never alone, friends. When you feel alone, listen to me, believers. When you feel alone, it is a lie from Satan. You have the Holy Spirit already confirmed to live inside of you. You have a family of faith living around you that you can call at any moment that you have need, and you have a great high priest in the throne room making intercession for you 24 hours a day nonstop. He never stops. That's the high priest you have. The Bible talks about God never slumbers. He never sleeps. He never tires. He never stops his work. On the one hand, it's all glory to him. On the other hand, it's kind of sad for us that we need that all the time. And yet he still loves us, making intercession for us constantly. And yet he's not shaken by your sin. He's not shaken by your weakness or your doubt. He doesn't want you to have it, but he's not shaken by it. He loves you anyway. He loves you past it. He's holy, blameless, and pure. Now, we certainly appreciate Yeshua's ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He makes us righteous and holy before the Father in a way that we could never do, of course. He takes away our sin, but not just our sin. He takes away the shame and the guilt, which is something the covenant of Moses applied by the high priest couldn't do for you. You know, if you took the animal to the sacrifice altar and your heart was right and the Father burned it up from heaven to tell you, I forgive you. That's the sign. I forgive you. You're clean. You left there feeling pretty good, but you also left there with a residual feeling of shame and guilt. That's what the Bible says. But when Yeshua did it, he did it in such a different way, such a better way, such a pure and holy, permanent way. It says he didn't only take away your sin, he took away your shame and your guilt. That's why the covenant is better. It's permanent. Once for all time, no sin, no shame, no guilt, no pain, no tears, no fear. That's where we're supposed to be living as believers. Now, please understand something. That although we've been forgiven, we've been washed clean by the perfect sacrifice of Yeshua, we are not exempt from standing before the judgment seat of the Lord. 
You need to hear this one. Although you're clean, you're pure, you're forgiven, you're saved, you're proclaimed righteous and holy before God because of Yeshua's blood and his work. All of those things are, in, are true and they are intact. And yet, even as believers, you are not exempt from standing before the judgment seat of God. Some of us didn't know that. In whatever background theology and eschatology you had, it's important that you remember you will stand before the judgment seat of God. Romans 14.10 says it this way, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Who's he speaking to? The believers in Rome. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers saying, why do you judge one another? Don't you know where you're headed? The judgment seat awaits you. Don't do these things. Notice Paul is writing to the believers, but both the guilty and the innocent pronouncement happens at the judgment seat of Messiah. And, and the reason I think this is so important is because it clears up a theological question that many of us have. If I give my heart to Yeshua and I say, take my heart, be my savior, forgive my sin, I trust in your work. If I do that, if I make that transaction, I make that profession of faith, does it matter after that how I live my life? And the scriptural answer is yes, it matters how you live your life. Remember, you've committed to the Lord's word. A person who doesn't care about how they lived hasn't committed to Yeshua. I mean, just to be really frank and clear, you can't say you're my leader. And he says, oh, oh, great, let me lead you this way. No, 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 I'm not going that way. Well, then am I your leader? It matters how you live because you will, sit, you will stand before the judgment seat of the Messiah, saved or not saved, you're still going there. And there's an account that we have to give. Paul uses the very same language when he addresses the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of the Messiah so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so here's the key phrase of the night. The judgment seat is where we find our guilt, we find out our guilt or our innocence. It is where we will plead the covering of Yeshua for the sins we've committed, but also where God will graciously reward the good we've done. That's what happens at the judgment seat. Saved or not, you're still standing in front of the judgment seat. And I've always encouraged all of us, when you stand there and God says, are you guilty? Your answer is yes, I'm absolutely guilty. But because of the blood of Yeshua, I was made righteous. Please, do not quote how many good things you've done. Do not try to outweigh your good with, over your bad. Do not try to make excuses. Do not try to explain away anything that's happened in your life. I'm telling you the way to go here, guys. Stand there and just accept I'm guilty of sin. I have nothing else to say after that. But because of the blood of Yeshua, I'm here. 
and God. We'll look at that. He's going to look up the, the Lamb's book of life, right? He's going to look at him. Well, I don't see any sin here. But I do see a lot of good works you've done. I, I do see a life you lived of service where you loved others more than yourself. You know what? Let me reward you for those things. I don't see any sin, but I do see those things. And that's what Yeshua did for you. That's the new covenant. That's why it's so good. John 5, 26 and 27 says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. So now we make a turn. There's the forerunner Yeshua, the guarantor Yeshua, the high priest Yeshua, the sacrifice Yeshua. Now there's the judgment seat. There's the judge himself. And if you read that verse the way I did, it was very clear. And he has given him all authority to judge because he's the son of man. So at this point, the father isn't the one holding the authority to judge. Now, like God is so good at doing, he's delegating. He's such a great delegator. The Son, Yeshua, God in the Son expression is the one who is now the judge. He becomes the one holding all of the judge authority. So what makes him worthy? What makes him the right person to judge all of our actions and our thoughts of humanity? Well, Yeshua is not only the one who has the authority to judge the world, but he's also the only one that has the position to judge the world because he's the one seated in the judgment seat. He's the one seated at the right hand of the Father. He's the only one positioned to do it. He's the only one who fits the perfect high priest role that the prophets told us would happen. He's the only one that fits it. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 9, 11 and 12. But when Messiah came as high priest of good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. You have to understand the, the picture that's being painted, that nothing else was worthy Nothing else was a fit. Nothing else had what it took to be the perfect high priest. There wasn't an animal. There wasn't a person. There wasn't anything created. So God himself said, I'm going to use my own blood. And he became that perfect high priest. So not only does he have the delegated authority, not only does he sit in the right position, but now he's done the right and appropriate action of the high priest and judge by his own blood. Now, a couple of comments that are very important to note, that the earthly high priest's sacrifice was imperfect, even though it was commanded by God. You need to understand how that fits together. God commanded it, but it wasn't perfect. God is perfect, but the method that he had to use was imperfect because of the people he had to use, not because of God's plan. He chose an animal. The animal needed to be spotless, but the animal wasn't perfect. The animal was born into a sinful world. It had the residue of sin on it. 
You know, nature has sin on it, right? That's why there's the hunter and the hunted. That's part of the fall right there. Because we know in Revelation that later there will not be the hunters anymore. It says the lion will lay down with the lamb and they will all be at peace. But that was part of the fall. And lambs and goats, bulls and rams, they were all affected by the fall. So even though it's a spotless lamb to the human eye, it is not a sinless lamb because it's affected by the sin of the world. So the sacrifice wasn't perfect. The high priest wasn't perfect because he had to make sacrifice for himself. It's the first thing he had to do in the day. He gets up, he takes a ritual bath, he puts on ritual clothes, he goes and sacrifices for himself first because he's a sinner. Then he goes into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles the blood on everything else for the sin of the people. So the animal wasn't perfect. The high priest wasn't perfect. And then it says right here that the temple where the altar was wasn't perfect. Why? Because the temple, although allowed by God, remember the tabernacle was commanded, the temple was allowed. It was allowed by God. It was made with human hands, hands of sin. But when Yeshua died, please understand this in your theology. Really tuck this in. I never want you to think that Yeshua only did the sacrifice on earth. Do not think that, please. The Bible says that he did that, and then he went into the heavenly temple, the same one that Moses saw. Remember, Moses saw one. That's how he knew what to build. God said, build it just like the pattern that you saw. Yeshua went to the heavenly temple that was never made with human hands. It had never been stained with sin. It was a perfect temple. It was a perfect altar. He was the perfect priest, and he was the perfect sacrifice. That's how, why he only has to do it one time. This is the Messiah you get to serve. Isn't that amazing that you get to serve him? Revelation 19, 11. All of this makes him the perfect judge. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. Justice, because he's the judge. Now, David describes God as a lover of justice. Isaiah several times describes God as a lover of justice. And I'm going to read you a few passages, but before I do, this kind of came up in our prophetic prayer time. We as the people of God, when we hear certain words from God, we might have an, an initial negative response. And I want to be careful that we don't do that when we hear words like repent. Don't feel negative about repent. Repent sets you free. Don't feel negative words about judge or justice or judgment seat. Don't feel negative about that. Don't feel scared about that. Don't feel fearful. You're in a room full of unworthy people. Just get a quick show of hands. Unworthy people, raise your hand. I'm gonna give another moment for everyone's hand to go up. Just so we're all on the same page today. Very good. Very good. There's a couple of you holding back. I don't know what that was about. So you don't have to be insecure. We're all in the same boat. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat with nothing to say other than 
by the grace of Yeshua. You don't have to be perfect to be in this congregation, because if you did, you'd be the only one here. But God's a lover of justice. But I don't want you to hear the word and, and react like in a negative feeling, like, oh my goodness, justice. Guys, this is the thing that cuts off the last piece of sin that you will ever experience. Think about the judgment seat, the great Yom Kippur, the very last fulfillment of the foreshadowing. It's the last moment where that last tentacle of sin holding onto you gets cut. From that point forward, from the judgment seat forward, you will never have to deal with it again. The next time you hear justice and judgment seat, I want you to rejoice. I want you to have a positive feeling because I'm looking forward to this sucker. I'm tired of fighting some of this stuff. Maybe I'm the only one fighting, but I'm tired of fighting some of it. I can't wait for that day. Let me read you these passages from Isaiah and we'll close. Isaiah 30, 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait on him. And in keeping with our sermon series, this series we're in is called The Source. You can see that God is the source of justice. He's not just the applier of justice. He's the source of it. There's no other way to get true justice. Did you see what Revelation said? He's riding on a horse. He's called faithful and true so that he can judge the world with truth. He's the only one that has it. it comes from him. Isaiah 51, 4 and 5. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instructions will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. In my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Catch it, for my arm. I looked around and no one else could do what needed to be done. So I sent my own arm. If you've ever wondered, is Yeshua the son? Is he God? He is absolutely God. There's only one God. It's him. I don't, I don't give you my arm and pretend that it's someone else. If I'm going to reach out my arm to help you, it's me helping you. My arm is the bridge to get me there. But it's still me. And God calls Yeshua the arm several times. It's a pattern in the scripture. Here's our last verse. Isaiah 59, 15 and 16. Truth is nowhere to be found. Don't forget, he's the writer, faithful and true, they call him. But truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and he was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. And he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. This Yom Kippur, Yeshua is your forerunner. He, he's already gone ahead of you. He's, he's already solved the problem for you even before you got there. It's solved. 
The blood is for you. It's already bought you victory. He's your great intercessor who never stops. He knows you're gonna sin. He knows you struggle. And yet he's already forgiven that sin as soon as your heart is right. And he's interceding at the throne room for you. He's a guarantor of a, of a better covenant so that one day you can stand before the judgment seat and he can cut the final cord. Today we're all longing for. And why do we trust him at the judgment seat? Because he's not just a good administrator of justice. He is justice. Everything wrong in the world he will fix. It's going to be glorious to watch how he does it. But justice is him. He created it. He's the source of it. And if you are like many of us and you don't like the injustices in this world, programs and efforts and outreaches are great and they, we should do those things to help people. But real justice will never be served until you bow at the feet of Yeshua because he's the source of it. It's, it's where the real justice comes from and he'll fix it in all of creation. If you're joining us tonight and you missed the first couple of weeks of the series called The Source, you can find it online, but here's a, a recap. Yeshua is the source of light and life, according to Genesis 1. Yeshua is the source of eternal salvation, according to Hebrews 5. Yeshua is the source of all hope, according to Romans 15. And tonight, Yeshua is the source of justice, Isaiah 51. Now, with that in mind, let me just read you a few of these passages that are traditionally read. I, I mentioned a few of them. I'm not going to read all of them. Obviously, the Siddur is very long, and that's not our point. But one in particular is the Ashamnu prayer. It says Ashamnu, Begadnu, Gzalnu, Dibarnu, Tofi, Hevinu, Hishanu, Zadnu, Hamasnu, Tafalnu, Shakel, Yatsnu, Rats, Kazavnu, Latsnu, Maradnu, Natsnu, Saranu, Avinu. And you hear the, the nu, nu, nu on the end of every one of those, right? It's because we're, we've all done it. That's what Daniel is trying to get across to us. Don't pretend you didn't do it. You did it. Just, just, say, just say you're guilty. Don't fight God on it. Get your heart right so he can burn up the sacrifice and you can be done with it. Get your heart right. A few pages forward is, uh, it's really, uh, you know, it's a direct quote. About 80% of the Siddur is just a biblical quote, just put to music. This is a direct quote, Zechariah 14, 9, but we, we sing it. This is, V'nei Amar v'haya Adonai l'melech ol koharetz and it is said, the Lord shall be king over all the world. And on that day, the Lord will be one 
and his name one. Yeshua is God. There's only one God. He's the arm of God. He's the physical representation of God. He's the God that came in physical form so that he could be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest all at the same time. He's the forerunner, the intercessor, the guarantor that went behind the curtain. We need all of these things. And they're all found at one source. It's Yeshua. If you don't know him today, and you don't know him like we know him, please come find one of our leaders. Ask some questions. We're not going to pressure you into anything, but ask some questions. You want to know more? We'll lead you to more. We'll lead you to the one who created this world. He has a great destiny for you. You were created for a reason. Don't you want to know what that reason is? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that we don't have to solve these problems on our own. Yeshua, we accept everything that your word tells us you are today. We accept who you are, and we accept who you say we are. That we are children of the King. That we are co-heirs with the Messiah. That we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That we are holders of power of the Holy Spirit. That we are distributors of the good news. That we are rulers and reigners in your kingdom. We accept that. And yet we're not worthy of any of it. But today you make us worthy. As we look at Yom Kippur, we're only worthy because of you. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for us.